This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Lee Hood was a visionary who helped enable the genomics age. Journalist Luke Timmerman, in his newly published biography of Hood, chronicles the scientist's career and achievements, as well as the controversies that surrounded him. We spoke to Timmerman about Hood, the conflicts that shaped his career, and the significance of his contributions to the field of biology. Luke, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Danny. Congratulations on the publication of Hood, Trailblazer of the Genomics Age, your biography of Lee Hood. Thank you very much. It's been a long haul. We're, we're going to talk about Hood, his accomplishments, the controversy surrounding him, and, and ultimately how to think of him. Before we dive in, for listeners who may not be familiar with him, who is Lee Hood? So he is one of the first-generation scientific entrepreneurs in biotech. Uh, he uh, spent most of his career at Caltech on the faculty there, starting in 1970, working his way up uh, to become chairman of biology in the 80s. And uh, he's started a bunch of companies uh, along the way. He uh, spent some time at the University of Washington and now runs his own institute for systems biology, uh, focusing on personalized medicine. By and large, Hood is a scientist who lived within academia. Early on in the book, there's a, a quote from the stem cell biologist Irv Weissman, a, a friend of his who, like him, was from Montana. He said that one thing about people from Montana that I noticed was different from people in the East was that we had no idea of tradition or hierarchy. Academic institutions are very much about hierarchy and tradition. How well did Hood fit into the academic environment? Uh, he learned his way. Uh, he learned how to play the game, so to speak, uh, coming up as an undergrad and then a graduate student at Caltech. Uh, but I think the upbringing in the West, uh, as Irv Weissman is referring to, really was helpful in instilling that sense that anything is possible for someone with talent and drive. Uh, to, to, to do big things uh, in the West. And there weren't a lot of people telling him that he couldn't do certain things or he needed to wait his turn or some other things that you might think of at uh, elite East Coast academic institutions. Hood's mentor and thesis advisor, Bill Dreyer, told him, if you're going to do something in biology, be at the leading edge. It's more fun there. If you really want to change a field, invent a new technology. Did he take this to heart, or is this just something in retrospect that echoes with what happened? 
Oh, he did take it to heart. And Bill Dreyer uh, was an immensely influential figure in Hood's career. Um, he was Hood's graduate advisor. And Dreyer himself um, did quite a bit of technological innovation. And Hood uh, worked with him on that all the way back to his graduate school days. So um, he did, Hood did appreciate that if you could develop a new technology, you could gather new kinds of data. You could ask different kinds of questions. You could get your advantage as a scientist that way. Uh, so it it, uh, it became part of his his strategy throughout his academic career to focus on technology about half of his time. I always thought of, of Hood in the context of his involvement in the automation of genetic analysis in terms of personalized medicine and, and systems biology. I, I, I didn't appreciate his contribution to the field of immunology. How significant was his work there? Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, that he was one of the major figures in immunology throughout the 70s and 80s until he sort of uh, took a detour into genomics and this more technological-driven form of biology. But Hood actually came very, very close to winning the Nobel Prize in the 80s for his work on uh, determining the origin of antibody diversity. And that is, how do um, our immune system antibodies um, form all these different shapes that are necessary to protect us from all of the pathogens that we encounter every day? It was a really hard problem in immunology, uh, and it took 20-some years to really arrive at the answer. And Hood was right there with a, a couple of other leading scientists in the 80s, and uh, he just missed out on, on the Nobel well, he did share the Lasker Prize for that work, and there was a lot of expectation that he was going to get the Nobel with, with the other people he shared the Lasker with. Did, did, right. did that have a, a long-term sting for him? Oh, it did um, hurt his feelings. Um, <laughs> he, he knew that was his, uh, his best chance for glory. Um, and as I talk about in the book, um, the invention of the DNA sequencer um, was tremendously important and widely recognized with a whole bunch of awards that Hood has gone on to receive, but it's not the sort of thing that the Nobel Committee typically uh, awards. So um, he, uh, he, uh, he missed, he, he came very, very close to winning the Nobel Prize, and there are quite a few scientists who've had distinguished careers and, and never got one, and he's one of them. Hood played a, a role in enabling the genomics age, his contribution in bringing about the technology to do high-speed sequencing and synthesis of DNA and proteins. Today, this is such a given, but at the time, how unusual was his push to blend biology and technology, and why was there so much resistance in academic biology to doing this? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, biology was... Um, Still, uh, it was behind the times in terms of embracing technology. Uh, there were uh, a lot of people who were receiving their grants to do basic fundamental like mechanistic work in molecular biology. And they had their graduate students do a lot of work by hand. And um, that was sort of the existing order. 
and then Hood and, and a few others, Wally Gilbert being among the leaders, uh, started calling for this big science. And it sort of uh, required people to rethink how we were going to organize ourselves as biologists. Are you going to be able to go on and keep getting those small grants to explore some narrow mechanism of molecular cell biology? Or are you going to need to join some big team and, and work like uh, you would in a in a big company? Say um, it was a so it challenged the um, the prevailing order of science at the time, and that made a lot of people nervous. That's always amazing to me when someone of such great accomplishments exaggerates their accomplishments or takes credit for something others did do or doesn't share credit when it should be shared. This seems to have been a problem for Hood, who earlier in his career had been a victim of such behavior. Did this carry a big price? And the most egregious example of this, I guess, is the the scene you have where he's at the press conference where he announced the automated DNA machine, which he seemed to take self-credit for at the time. Was this a personality flaw? And, and, and how big a problem did it create? Um, yeah, it, it's a... Uh... It is a recurring theme in the book. Um, I do think that it, it does shed light on a personality flaw. That is, um, he, this is an ego-driven individual, very self-centered, self-absorbed. Um, and it's that ego drive that uh, propelled him forward and made him take on these audacious projects like the automated DNA sequencer. Um, but as uh, I describe in the book, in that scene at the press conference at Caltech in 1986, um, he, he gets caught up in the moment and uh, neglects to uh, give proper credit to a lot of the people who did a lot of the work behind the scenes, uh, including people, graduate students in his lab, as well as people at Applied Biosystems. And um, I think it was an oversight. I don't think he intended to leave them out, but I think he was caught up in the moment, basking in the adulation, and genuinely enthusiastic about explaining the science to the public. Um, and so, but yes, it did um, come with a price. Uh, these these people were upset with him, and they took him aside afterwards and said, Lee, uh, from now on, you have got to give more fair credit uh, to the people who did a lot of the work. And they insisted on him um, explaining that in slides whenever he gave scientific talks anywhere. And he did try to get better at this over the years. But uh, he, he's just not been um, known for being really generous with crediting others. One of the consequences of this seems to be that he created an opening for Craig Venter. Um, is that correct? And, and could you tell that story? Yeah, it that was one of the interesting things that I learned. There were many interesting things, but um, essentially, Applied Biosystems, which was the company working on the first generation of automated DNA sequencers. This was a company that Hood himself had co-founded, um, dating back to the early days at Caltech. These people at the company were really upset that he um, hadn't properly credited them in the press conference. And um, he also wasn't really that interested in 
further developing the automated DNA sequencing instruments. They were running with the project by then. And um, he, it, it really did create an opening. Craig Venter read, uh, at the time, he was uh, a researcher at the NIH, and he read the famous June 1986 paper in Nature about the automated DNA sequencer. And he did see that as an opportunity for him to maybe become one of the, the early beta testers of this machine at the NIH. And he got to know the people at the company, and uh, he, he ended up maneuvering himself into that position where the Hood group could have been. Um, and, you know, he Hood also, um, I don't want to give away too much, <laughs> but he did um, ask for a free machine uh, from uh, Applied Biosystems, and that rankled the company a bit. Um, so he, he did not get one of the new and improved beta instruments when it became available um, about six months later in early 1987. That went to Craig Venter. And the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, today, it may seem hard to believe, but when Hood was making deals with industry and commercializing discoveries, uh, spinning out companies and partnering, he was doing this at a time when such relationships were not just frowned on with academia, but really viewed as dangerous and, and poisonous. Did this add to the friction between Hood and his colleagues, and did it make people more suspicious of him? Uh, yes. Very much so. In the early 80s, um, it, it, this was the very beginning of biotech. And uh, there had been a big controversy at Harvard at, uh, around that same time, around the founding of a company called Genetics Institute. And the administrative leadership at Caltech uh, at the time looked at that and thought, boy, uh, we need to proceed carefully here. Um, and Hood, uh, Hood just saw the business community as another group of people that could help support his vision. He embraced it very early on, and uh, it it, uh, it proved to be uh, he, he was ahead of the curve. Uh, but a lot of his colleagues in biology sort of took the traditional view that um, we in academia are the noble seekers of truth, and we're untainted by that industry money, and uh, there must be something, you know, funny going on behind the curtain with industry, and, and so they they became suspicious. And frankly, I think there was also a bit of jealousy, uh, because, you know, here's this guy, Hood, he's this charismatic figure, he's a great storyteller, a great salesman, and he's raking in all this money from external sources. Uh, that uh, that enabled him to pursue dreams that that they couldn't. Um, so it, it it became intense and, and personal at times. These relationships ultimately made Hood rich. The the portrait you paint of him, though, he doesn't seem to be so unmotivated by money or too interested in it, other than its necessity to fund science. When he was unable to secure funding for his Institute for Systems Biology, he became his own anonymous donor and. While this book is about Hood, in, in many ways, it seems to me to be a book about funding science and funding biology at a time it was becoming big science, more akin to what the world of physics had been. How did issues of fundraising shape Hood's profile? And do you think it fueled his scientific achievements or, or pulled them away from the science? Well, that's a really good question. Um, Hood learned early on 
to become a, a very skilled um, public speaker or salesman. He was always very successful at fundraising at Caltech. And, um, you know, when he went to the University of Washington, um, the big part of that was him hitting it off with Bill Gates and getting Bill Gates to make the first big act of philanthropy of his career, uh, which was to bring Hood there and create a new department for molecular biotechnology in the early 1990s. So Hood's ability to connect with the business community and raise money from companies, from foundations, as well as the traditional federal sources, it was a secret to his success. Um, But I think a case could be made that it did uh, lead him down directions more toward application and technology and um, away from some of the basic science where he had had early success. So, you know, you alluded to his uh, record in immunology, which was really impressive. If you look at the publication, first 20 years of his career, there's a lot of important basic research being published. And in the later years, uh, not as much. When he's becoming more of a Pied Piper, so to speak, a scientific entrepreneur. Um, he's his accomplishments are are measured in in different ways than the usual publications and patents. Hood is a a big proponent of systems biology and personalized medicine. Big ideas that he helped popularize. Do you see either of these taking meaningful hold and changing health or, or medicine in a significant way? You know, I think it's too early to say that. Um, He definitely did a lot of work to popularize the idea of systems biology, and uh, and many other academic institutions have followed that model. Um, I think, you know, an argument could be made that this is largely semantic and that um, this is just how biology is done today um, with... uh, you know, high-speed instruments, gathering lots of data, and, and me- measuring more things than you ever could before. He takes uh, a fair bit of credit for um, helping create that new world. Um, but, it, I, you know, I think that the personalized medicine vision um, has been part of the Human Genome Project sales pitch from the very beginning. And while we have a few anecdotal cases where that's that's been true. You know, there are some good drugs like Herceptin being one notable example. Um, this is not something that uh, has integrated itself into everyday patient care in uh, for most people. Well, how, how should we think of Lee Hood? What are his lasting contributions? What Where did he make a difference? Well, uh, certainly he set the wheels in motion for this new data-driven, quantified, fast-moving form of biology, Um, the the genomics age, you can call it. Um, He definitely was an early and forceful proponent for it Um, and and led the way. Um, So he, he is part of this vanguard group of biologists of the last 40, 50 years who um, 
who, who have given us the opportunity to reimagine uh, biology and, and how, how we can apply some of that basic knowledge in the clinic. I think it's going to be another 50 or 100 year quest to really fulfill it. And that's the part that I think often gets lost. People sometimes get carried away and think, well, we've sequenced the genome. Uh, now we're going to cure all kinds of diseases. And I mean, you and I both know that's not how drug development works. Um, but uh, that's not to diminish uh, the change that, that's occurred. And, I mean, the idea that you could spend an entire graduate student's career sequencing a single gene uh, in the early 80s. And now you can sequence an entire genome uh, of a human being in a day. Uh, it's it's mind-boggling the change that's occurred. And Hood was one of the people that, that helped make that happen. Do you think he's underappreciated? Um, no, I think within biology, he is really widely recognized for his accomplishments. In the wider world, um, yes, I, I, I think he is uh, a bit of a unknown quantity, but that probably has more to do with uh, with the difficulty of communicating biotech to wide mass audiences and actually has something to do with the way the media works today uh, more so than than Hood. Because he, he's a very charismatic public speaker and, and he gets out there and, and meets with public groups. Um, he just... Uh, you know, it, it, there is no Steve Jobs of biotech, and and that has that says a lot about biotech and and the media, as I say. Luke Timmerman, author of Hood, Trailblazer of the Genomic Age, and founder and editor of the Timmerman Report at TimmermanReport.com. The book's available on Amazon.com. Luke, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.